While the Chicago's CD Motel Row episode was my longest episode yet, I think, there was plenty more I cut for time, and based on the response to last week's episode, I thought I'd offer a few more motel-related stories and a few more details on ones I shared last week. I'm Tommy Henry, and this is the Chicago History Podcast. As always, if you haven't listened to the full-length episode, please do so now. Otherwise, these fragments will likely not make sense. Also, the disclaimer for the full-length episode applies to this one as well. There are some disturbing elements to a few of these stories, which may be triggering for some. Listener discretion is advised. Here we go. In the full-length episode, I talked about Sidney H. Morris, designer of the Villa Moderne in Skokie, and all of his predictions in 1960 about what he thought motels of the future would be like. The place Sidney H. Morris designed, called the Villa Moderne, both of its lives sound pretty cool. It started off as a cafe-restaurant located on the southwest corner of Skokie Boulevard, and County Line Road when it opened in the mid-1930s. The Art Deco hotspot featured Spanish big band leader Carlos Molina, as well as Winnie Hovler's unusual dance troupe, whose girls performed famous ballet numbers on swinging ladders. Yes, please. The second floor of the Villa Moderne was sometimes known for its closed-door gambling offerings, and... Because Chicago, the original Villa Moderne, was destroyed by fire in 1956. The Villa Moderne was rebuilt as a motor hotel just a few years later, just south of Lake Cook Road, between the Edens Expressway and Skokie Boulevard in what was then considered Highland Park. A July 1958 article on the new Villa Moderne described it as a 100-room, $2.5 million facility, which would be outfitted with indoor and outdoor swimming pools, a 250-seat restaurant, meeting rooms, and a winter ice skating rink. The backside of a postcard I found for the Villa Moderne claims, A new concept in luxury living award-winning rooms, each fully air-conditioned with TV and hi-fi suites, and kitchenettes also available. AAA approved. And at the bottom of the card, located only 21 minutes from Chicago's Loop. The revived Villa Moderne also had an Al Gower's restaurant starting in the 1960s. The Villa Moderne eventually became a Holiday Inn franchise, but in September of 1982, there was talk of demolishing the hotel to make way for a new 300-room hotel and two office buildings totaling 200,000 square feet. The Village of Northbrook refused to grant the zoning request, and lawsuits began to fly. The following year, Holiday Inn declined to renew the franchise agreement. Although the hotel continued to operate as the Villa Moderne in December of 1986, the hotel ran a classified ad with its first line stating, 
modern hotel and restaurant being demolished. For two weeks only, everything must be sold. The site currently has retail shopping, including a Trader Joe's. Would you believe one of the seedy motels was connected to an art heist? Of course it was. Chicago police announced in February of 1965 they had recovered two paintings and six etchings taken by burglars the previous month from the apartment of a local art dealer named Jack Shore. If you're listening to this episode, I'm sure you have a pretty good idea of where those items were found. Spoiler! It was at the Tip Top Motel at 6060 North Lincoln, now the River Park Motel and Suites. The art dealer who owned Sheridan Art Gallery at 4820 Sheridan Road said one of the paintings stolen had no value, but the other, a da Vinci, was worth $100,000, and the etchings by Picasso were valued at $10,000. $110,000 in today's money is more than $1 million, and this is long before art prices skyrocketed. The newspaper did that thing that always makes me roll my eyes. They printed the art dealer's home address, giving other crooks a better idea of where they might score valuable stuff in the future. All of the art was cut from frames at the guy's apartment. Art dealer Jack Shore said he received three mysterious phone calls from a man offering to return the stolen items for $2,500, which Shore refused. On Tuesday, February 23rd, Sergeant William Hanhart answered a call from a man who said, I will not repeat this. Go to room 102 of the Tip Top Motel on Lincoln Avenue. Oh, you're wondering where you've heard the name William Hanhart before? Hanhart has been called one of the most corrupt cops in the CPD. In the 1960s, he allegedly accepted $1,000 in bribes each month, as well as a new car every other year from mob boss Angelo Volpe. He later ran a mobbed-up theft ring that stole tens of millions of dollars worth of jewelry from salesmen across the country. Hanhart worked for the Chicago Police Department for 33 years and to date is the highest-ranking Chicago police officer ever to be convicted of a crime. He was later sentenced to 12 years behind bars, was released from prison in 2011, and died in 2016. Where was I? Oh yeah, the art theft. Hanhart notified detectives from the Area 6 burglary unit who went to room 102 of the motel and found the art. I did not find anything that leads me to believe the police ever found the thief or thieves. Something I didn't talk about in the main episode was that a few of the motels had restaurants and coffee shops in their lobbies, and a few had cocktail lounges and bars. In February of 1965, 41-year-old Mrs. Billie Jean Darris of the 3600 block of North Avers and Mrs. Margaret Forbes, 37, of the 1400 block of Elmdale Avenue, were refused drinks at the Spa Motel's bar. 
The two women then got into a quarrel with each other in the parking lot of the motel, at which point Billie Jean Darris got into her car and struck Margaret Forbes three times with the vehicle before speeding off. A 26-year-old newspaper delivery guy and his 18-year-old helper witnessed the incident and followed Darris's auto, eventually cutting her off near the corner of Winnemac and Western, not far from the spa motel. They kept Darris occupied until police arrived. Darris was later charged with hit-and-run driving, and Mrs. Forbes was treated at Swedish Covenant Hospital. More weirdness connected to the C.D. Lincoln Avenue motels occurred in April of 1972 when 34-year-old comedian Eddie Morgan was arrested at the Spa Motel. It seems Morgan had been calling bomb threats into NBC television studios in New York and Chicago. A night clerk at the Spa Motel told police he had seen Morgan who had been living at the spa for several weeks, using the payphone booth in the lobby of the motel. The juggler comedian was charged with intimidation and disorderly conduct. Investigators said Morgan was a disgruntled performer who had called the stations to complain about the hiring of European entertainers. The reports did not say which European entertainers Morgan had issue with, Up until about a month before Morgan had performed his juggling magic act at the Regency Hyatt on Bryn Mawr in Rosemont, that I would have paid to see. Also in 1972, a 24-year-old woman named Beverly Hack was killed when the car in which she was a passenger struck the wall of the Apache Motel on Lincoln Avenue. Her husband, Robert, 27, was driving north on Lincoln Avenue when he lost control and slammed into the south wall of the hotel. Beverly Hack was transported to Swedish Covenant Hospital where she was pronounced dead. Her husband, who was not injured, was charged with negligent driving and driving too fast for conditions. Although Mayor Daly's press conference in front of the Spa Motel in 1998 was the beginning of the end for a few of the motels along Lincoln Avenue, it wasn't the first time the city had tried to make a move against those businesses. Back in October of 1982, when Richard M. Daly was the Cook County State's Attorney, He shared with the press that a Cook County grand jury had begun a full-scale investigation into prostitution in Chicago and the northwest suburbs. Daly also disclosed his office had initiated civil lawsuits against four Northside motels, charging them with being a public nuisance. I was kind of shocked only two of the four were part of the seedy motels on North Lincoln Avenue. That was the Acres at 5600 North and the Villa at 5952 North Lincoln. The other two were the Tropicana at 5440 North Sheridan Road and the Chicago Lodge, address unknown. 
at a neighborhood meeting at St. Philip Evangelical Church at 2500 West Bryn Mawr. Daly told the roughly 250 neighborhood residents in attendance, quote, Prostitution is not a victimless crime. The community is the victim because when prostitution begins to come in, then with them comes the pimps, narcotics, drugs, and crime. End quote. Also at the meeting was 40th Ward Alderman Ivan Rittenberg, who talked about ordinances he said would curb the, quote, hot pillow trade, end quote, good band name, including prohibiting motels from renting rooms for less than 12 hours in a single 24-hour period. Timothy Mabe, the motel rapist responsible for eight attacks, all within four months, all within a mile of each other, all at C.D. Lincoln Avenue motels, served fewer than 18 years of his 36-year sentence. Once out of prison, it didn't take long for him to run afoul of police and society once again. On January 8, 2000, a couple living in the 5800 block of North Whipple Street heard a noise outside. Opening the door to check things out, they encountered a man wearing a ski mask, carrying a knife with a 5-inch blade, and a BB gun. The masked intruder sexually assaulted the woman before stealing jewelry and household items. Before he left, he photographed the couple and warned them not to call the police. Two weeks later, and about a block away, an assailant followed a man who had been warming up his car into his apartment. The masked attacker tied up the man and tried to get him to lure a female to the apartment, but the man refused. Police put out a community alert, and within days, Timothy Mabe was under arrest again. May bore an ankle monitor that allowed authorities to track when he left home, but it did not pinpoint his location. Good news! I tracked Timothy Mabe down through the Illinois Department of Corrections, proving I really need a new hobby. He was sentenced to 30 years for armed robbery and sentenced to life for aggravated criminal sexual assault and threatening the lives of the couple whose pictures he took and warned not to go to the police. Mabe is currently held at the Shawnee Correctional Center in Vienna, Illinois, in Johnson County, about as far south in Illinois as you can go before you're in Kentucky. I talked briefly about the Highland Park businessman who was arrested in the mid-1980s for soliciting young boys for sex at the Spa Motel. Stanley I. Lansing of Highland Park, Illinois, a married father of four, drove a red Mercedes with a phone in it, something that stuck out in the super sketchy uptown area of that time. One of the boys who was abused said he was approached on the street by a man who asked whether he wanted to make money. When the boy answered yes, the man made a phone call and up drove a red Mercedes. Lansing would then take the boys, ranging in age from 11 to 15 years old, to the spa motel or the parking lot at the Weiss Hospital on Wilson 
near the lake to have sex with them, usually paying $20 for each encounter. Although Lansing was indicted for aggravated sexual assaults on children, charges that would have carried mandatory prison terms, the judge later convicted him of nine counts of aggravated criminal sexual abuse. His sentence, 36 months of probation, 3,000 hours of public service, and he was ordered to undergo psychiatric treatment. He was also ordered to have no contact with minors. Yolandi Bourgeois, a former Chicago prosecutor, was later quoted as saying, He was a wealthy guy. He lived in one of the better suburbs here. He was married and had a couple of kids. Good upstanding citizen. But he had a good lawyer, and it was his first conviction, and the judge put him on probation. End quote. Instead of doing any of the court-ordered slap-on-the-wrist stuff, Lansing instead headed to his Florida home in Long Beach Key, near Sarasota, and quickly became a customer of a pedophilia ring operating out of Tampa. On April 9, 1988, Lansing was again arrested, this time after befriending two 11-year-old twin boys. After introducing himself to the boy's stepmom, Lansing was allowed to take the boys to the park, baseball games, and even an overnight trip to Cape Canaveral. Lansing told the boy's stepmother he had work for the boys to do cleaning up his store and that he would pay them. He then brought the boys to a local Marriott hotel and assaulted them. After overhearing one of the boys talking suspiciously on the phone, the mother called the police. Police were waiting for Lansing when he pulled up to the house to pick up the boys. Lansing was charged with four counts of sexual battery on a child under the age of 12 and pleaded guilty to two lesser charges of attempted sexual battery and agreed to testify in court in exchange for a 15-year prison term. To receive the lesser prison term, Lansing helped Tampa police break up a pedophile network that had operated for roughly eight years, selling the services of boys ages 11 to 16 for as much as $1,000 a session. The FBI and local law enforcement in Florida quickly made arrests in the case, which reportedly had customers in areas as far away as Atlanta, Boston, Chicago, and Denver. When asked about Lansing's original probation sentence back in 1985, the Chicago Tribune quoted the judge as saying penalties for child sex crimes had been increased by statute the summer of 1984, and prosecutors hadn't proven the crimes occurred after the change. The Chicago Tribune ran one of those places for mom on her special day pieces for Mother's Day in May of 2002. You know, Dennis DeYoung of Sticks at the Rosemont Theater, dog shows, a fashion show and tea, that kind of thing. The post also included spas that had two different Mario Tricocci salons as well as a few independent places. Now, I can only assume they saw the word spa and went with it when they included the Spa Motel, site of much of the wrongdoing that eventually spelled its demise. Also, the Spa Motel had been demolished two years before. All right, after all the gross stuff, here's something a little lighter. 
In the last episode, I mentioned Maury Korengold, who was one of the first motel owners on Lincoln Avenue. Here's a little more about Mr. Korengold from his obituary from 1999. Born in Bilawe, Poland, around 1905, Maurice Korengold immigrated to Chicago as a young child and settled in the Humboldt Park neighborhood. He attended McKinley High School, where he was the city's 100-yard dash champion. After graduating from high school, Mr. Korengold went to work supporting his family as a traveling salesman. He set up a chain of vending machines on elevated train stops during the Depression, reasoning that people would still have pennies for candy and gum. A few years later, he set up jukeboxes in bars and became president of a local jukebox operators association. According to his son Howard, quote, he never became a wealthy man, but he always provided well. During World War II, Mr. Korngold served as a medic in the Navy. After his military service, he contracted and built houses in Skokie with a friend from the military. In 1954, he decided to go into the motel business and received a permit for one of the city's first motels, the Rio Motel on Lincoln Avenue at Jersey. After he retired around 1980, Mr. Korengold attended Oakton College part-time and took courses until he was 83 years old. You gotta love the motor on Mr. Korengold. Thanks for listening to today's episode, which admittedly ended up being the longest extras episode yet. I'm hopeful you enjoyed it.